This is Poured Over, a show about stories presented by the booksellers of Barnes & Noble. Today we are joined by the indelible Sarah J. Mass, an author that needs no introduction, but I'm going to give her one anyway. Sarah is the best-selling fantasy author of the Thorn of Glass series, the Court of Thorns and Roses series, and most recently the Crescent City series. Epic world building and provocative prose are brilliant, and if you are one of the very few who have not picked up one of her intoxicating novels, may we suggest you start reading immediately. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Thank you so much for being here with us. Wow, thank you for that very nice introduction. I don't know what to do with myself right now. I'm just kind of like sitting here smiling into space like a weirdo. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's exactly, that's exactly what we want. So I'm going to start off with kind of the elephant in the room, except it's the book talk in the room. <laughs> there is no doubt that book talk loves you. We love book talk. And I have to say that I am... I am insanely jealous that book talk was not around when I was younger. Mm -hmm. I feel like I did those same things. I threw books across the room and cried and screamed <laughs> and just devoured stories and had love affairs with authors and not many people to voice those feelings towards except my other weirdo friends. And we loved it. And now seeing this sort of explosion through social media for books, which is just amazing. It's just really exciting. So many new readers have come to your series through Book Talk. What has this sort of explosion of heartfelt fandom meant to you? It's insane in the best possible <laughs> way. Like I was literally just like you, like in high school, like I went to high school in the early 2000s and like, yep. you know, we had the internet, but like there was no Twitter, like book talk, like none of that. So, and like, I was actually the only one out of my whole group of friends that was reading fantasy, writing fantasy. I felt like a freak of nature, like all the time. I was like, why? Like, and like, I felt like I had no one to talk to about any of these things, the things that like made me feel like I was alive and excited and like these characters that felt real and then I'd like go into school and like everyone would be like quote unquote like normal and I'd be like how can you guys be functioning like when this huge thing just happened in this yes, series like, I'm don't, reading exactly yeah. don't you know what's going on in this world that we're obviously like, you, not living in but still <laughs> yeah and like I remember like when I was in high school the Lord of the Rings movies were coming uh, out I literally started the Lord of the Rings club at my high school and there were like three of us it was like me one of my friends that I dragged in and then this four freshmen that I have strong armed into like joining us it just felt like my fandom was very like a very small world at that time. So like seeing how it's evolved now to this global thing where nerds like us, people who love books, I mean like nerds are cool now. Like they weren't cool yes. when we were when we were in high school. Yes. It's this total reversal and I love it so much. 14 year old me, 15, 16 year old me is like yeah. screaming. Like screaming. Oh, yeah. yeah. We were nerds during a time when, like, you could get shoved into a trash can for being yes. a nerd. <laughs> like, it was a dangerous <laughs> time. But now it's, like, cool. Like, you know, people are, like, getting into it. And so just it means the world to me to, like, one, just witness any kind of, like, massive scale, like, love of books. And, like, that it brings in people who might not ordinarily think they're readers of any sort and like readers of fantasy. And, like, I love it when people come up to me and they're like, I never read fantasy until your books or I... You know, like I never like thought I'd enjoy like romance until your books. And um, I'm like, you just didn't find like the right books until now. Cause like, they're amazing. Like there's so many amazing books out there to have, you know, anyone read and love my books. Just, it means the world to me. It never gets old. Like I started doing this when I was a teenager. So like when I was a nerd during the dangerous yes. dark ages <laughs> of nerddom, 
So like so during those dark like, days. Yeah. So it's just like it's incredible. And like my day-to-day life is not glamorous or like cool in any way, shape, or form. Like I'm recording this. I'm wearing my pajama pants still, by the way. <laughs> and I'm As wearing you like my be. like, like As my you flannel. And like I literally had a debate. I was like, do I need to wear a bra for this podcast? And like so no. my day-to-day life is so not cool for lack of a better word. But then like to hear you know, like my friend Steph Brown, like loves texting me like screenshots of book talk guys. Like there's like a guy's book talk thing that like dudes are reading like Akatar and stuff, which I think is so cool. Like it is. It's like, I love, I, like, of course, like I love and appreciate all the people and the women who have like embraced my series. But then she's like, just mostly just for funding. Like, look at these cool guys that are like getting into reading. And I just think that's so great that like, you know, like my, my books aside that book talk is like doing that for like the world. Yes. <laughs> like, no, I, better and, and I think so often it's really just being paired with the right book. So mm-hmm. for those fans that have come to you and said, you know, I've never read fantasy before. I think we do sort of get ourselves in like these sort of genre holes where it's like, oh, this is kind of what I think I like or what I have felt comfortable reading. And then it's hard to sort of like escape into something different. And I think you do just need that like push one really good recommendation. And I mean, obviously at Barnes and Noble, like that's what we live for is to like yes. give recommendations and like book talk is just a world of these crazy fans pouring their heart out. And I mean, so it's like not just recommendation, it's life. You know, it's yes. like this book is like, like you need to read this, you need to stop everything you're doing. And it's just so wonderful. And I love seeing all the love that your books have gotten. I mean, particularly, I would say the actor like series, actors, <laughs> like it's like that one, it seems to be the one that like everyone is gone gaga over. But really it's like, <laughs> everything. And so, yeah, it's, it's really exciting. And I feel like when a new book pops up or like all of a sudden you see like something trending, it's just, it's just so fascinating. So update on A Court of Thorns and Roses adaptation. What can you tell us? (laughs) I'm not really sure what I can and can't tell you at this phase, but I I will say that I've been like co-writing the pilot with Ron Moore, which is like, insane just like every time I get on like a zoom chat because like we're still doing stuff like virtually with the the pandemic and every time I see Ron like pop up on my zoom I'm like what is happening (laughs) like like, how are we and like it's like so weird in the most amazing way like talking about Feyre and and Reese and the whole gang like with Ron Moore who's like one of my like creative idols Battlestar Galactica is one of my favorite shows of all time Outlanders another one of my favorite shows of all time so just like hearing him like seriously like analyze my work and like talk about my characters in a real intense way it's like an out-of-body experience for me and like I still feel like I'm such a nerd I'm like you know every time I write him an email I'm like dear Mr. Moore (laughs) and then I'm like wait no that that sounds so and like it's funny because he's so down to earth he's the most down to earth like chill like lovely guy he is not someone that would make you call him like Mr. Moore by like any means but like I'm just so fangirl heaven working with him so we're working on the pilot right now uh which is just super exciting things are going swimmingly right now that's amazing I'm so excited that like when I saw that (laughs) I was like yes so the platform is still Hulu uh yeah okay keeping the Hulu subscription like (laughs) yes you know every year when you make your like do I really need this it's like "Mm." there's a lot of good content coming out Hulu's done a lot of really good shows though yes like across like, you know, all genres. Like, have you seen 1015? Okay. I can't tell you how you are probably 
at, at least like the 10th person who has been like, why are you not watching the show? And I'm like, I am, I'm going to. <laughs> like, it's it's brilliant. It's, it's, I feel like you and I were probably very similar in like middle school and like high school and like it will ring true to you and like the best ways, but also like the most cringe worthy ways. There were some episodes that's like, I can't watch this because I lived through this and it's so good though. That's exactly it. It's like those core group of friends I still, you know, love and, and talk with all the time from when I was that age, you know, from the middle school and high school. And they're all like, cat, you need to like, yeah. exactly, it's like a therapy session. <laughs> like you need to watch the show. You will feel like someone hacked your life. Like, yep. like and, exactly. and is making brilliant TV about it. So yep. yeah, no, it's noted. <laughs> yes. So do not be... cancel that, that Hulu subscription. Keep it. <laughs> If only for Pen15, but they, they're they're making such good shows that I like wanted to like land with them ultimately. Like, I don't even know if I can like talk about the details of like how the TV deal. So I'm not going to, but like, you know, like they, I was like keeping my fingers crossed for them because they've just done so much stuff that I like love, like so, so many of my favorite shows. So I'm very, very happy right now. And I think, no, I think that's so important. It's like you, you know, you put so much work and just, you know, your heart and your soul into your work. And then obviously sort of like handing it off to someone. I guess that brings me into like a question about adaptations. Like, how did you feel about adaptations? Like prior to this happening, just in general, you know, were there ever adaptations that you saw that you were just like, oh my gosh, like that did not go well or that did not end well. (laughs) And like, did that sort of instill sort of a, a fear or were you like, no, I love adaptations. I love when they sort of take this work and give it to a a new audience. So yeah, how do you, how were you feeling prior to that? I mean, I lo- I'm like a real sucker for adaptations. Like if there's a Jane Austen adaptation of any of her books, I will watch it. I will watch it. And like, it can be hard for me to separate like, you know, oh, but they did this in the books and they didn't do this like in the series. But at the same time, like what works in the books sometimes doesn't translate yeah. well or easily onto TV. I, I recently, like in the past a year or two years, my COVID memory is terrible. Uh, but I signed with a new film agent. And when she and I were having our initial talk, she tossed around like, yeah, she's like, I would love for you to like work with Ron Moore. That would be like the dream. And like, she's like, yeah, he wrote the best series Bible like ever for Battlestar Galactica. And we were kind of just like, yeah, like, LOL, like Ron Moore, like, wouldn't that be cool one day? And then like a couple of weeks later, she called me. She's like, Ron Moore's interested in Akatar. And like, they had approached us. It was one of those things where I was like, Ron Moore not only wants to adapt it, but like he, like he did the Outlander adaptation, which is like, I think one of the best <laughs> adaptations like I've ever seen. And like, I was a massive fan of like the Outlander books before the TV show. So like I had came in with very high expectations. I thought he did the most amazing job. And so, you know, if I had written down a list of like who I would trust to adapt mm-hmm. my work, Ron would have been like number one. So that was just by the grace of God. I don't know what, like the most perfect thing. Cause I think he just, he did such a good job taking like the world of Outlander, but also like the essence of the characters, finding the right cast for it. And like, that's like what I like in my dream world, like, you know, my daydreams, like that's what I had always hoped for, like someone to give that level of care, like to my characters in my world. And that's, you know, what I'm like living through now, which is why I get like so excited, like seeing his face pop up on my computer. (laughs) But yeah, like, I think like, you know, adaptations, they're tricky. And I think being, you know, the author of the work is like, you know, navigating the switch into Hollywood. I'm very blessed that it's been such a wonderful experience so far. But before this, I had a couple brushes with adaptations that, you know, some went well, some didn't work, but like, I felt like I, as the author was like, oh, I don't know anything about 
screenwriting or, you know, adaptations, I should just stay in my lane and like not do this. And then in recent years, I got to the point where I was like, why couldn't I be like a part of like, why can't I like, you know, say I want to seat at the table and I want to be involved. And like, I, I love movies and TV. Like I watch and ungodly amount of both (laughs) and it's always been like you know a pipe dream of mine to get involved and I thought I feel so passionately about these characters and how they're brought like to the screen and how this world and and the plot are adapted like I should have a say in that and like I shouldn't feel like I need to like sit down and shut up um so like when we were like considering there were multiple parties involved in like who wanted Akatar and they were all amazing and part of why they were amazing is like all of them wanted me to be a part of this project. And I went with Ron ultimately, you know, because he wanted done such a good job of previous adaptations, but also, you know, he was like adamant that, yeah, like you should like be involved. Like I want to work with you. And I just thought that was incredible. And to just have my voice as a writer heard and like, for like to like be with a team that like you created this world, like, you know, like, if we're like tweaking things, like what do you think is the most organic thing? Because like you know best, you've like lived with these characters for a million years. With the ad- this adaptation, like it feels like it's the right team coming together, and like my involvement is—it's not coming from a place of like arrogance. It's just like I want to be involved. Like it's just like such a cool thing, and like I, like I, I, and it's a new creative medium for me. You know, like, writing a screenplay is very different than writing a book, and you know the whole process is incredibly different. So it's kind of this new creative mountain for me to climb, which I find very exciting in the nerdiest way. But it just, you know, like, I, I, like at this point, like I've written a bajillion books, you know, like no book is ever easy to write, but I sort of know what I'm doing at this point. But like with <laughs> writing a screenplay, I'm like, wow, like I am, uh, you know, like figuring things out as I go and learning what works and what doesn't work. And I just find that to be incredibly refreshing and awesome. That's amazing. And actually it makes me think of my, that's my next question for you. It's just when you're talking <laughs> about like writing in different mediums. So have you ever considered writing in different mediums? Obviously you're working on screenplay, but there's graphic novels, there's webtoons. I mean, there's so many ways to either adapt your work or just to have a new story in like a different medium. Have you ever thought about or wanting to sort of tackle a different medium? <laughs> I rule out nothing. Like I will never say never about anything when I was a middle schooler teenager like I was obsessed with manga and so like doing like a like manga style story one day like that would be like amazing whether it's an adaptation of one of my already existing series or like something like brand new like I just I think that would be such a cool medium that again like screenwriting I have no idea like how to and I just find that I find like any kind of storytelling you know, whether it's like in book form, TV form, like, you know, a more artistic format, like manga, like that's just a really cool way of exploring like the creative depths of my mind. I guess. And like, so I would love to do that one day. If, if the right story came along, it always comes down to story for me. Like what's the story that grabs me by the throat? And like, it's not just enough to have like a vague like idea. It's the kind of story where I keep coming back to the characters, to the world over the course of weeks or months or sometimes even years. And like, if I can't let go of it or like forget it, then like, that's a story that I know I have to write in some way. And so whether that will manifest as a book or graphic novel or TV show, like, you know, that kind of, that's like the exciting part. It's like, how does this story want to come out into the world? You started your first incantation of 
throwing a glass when you were 16. At this point, you have sold over 17 million copies across your series, which is just, I can't even wrap my brain around that number. I don't know how. Me neither. (laughs) You wrap your brain around that number. And your series have been translated into over 37 languages. That's like just crazy (laughs) and just amazing. How has your writing, your, your process, your routine evolved over the years? Obviously, you as a person have evolved. You know, you have different aspirations now. So what do you think has been the biggest change? Well, I don't have to write around my homework schedule anymore as a teenager. Okay, okay. <laughs> that's, that's a pretty big thing. Uh, no more tests to worry about. You know, some Like, this is, like, not related at all. But, like, some days I wake up, and this is, like, a horrible thing to say, and I'm sorry to any teenagers listening to this, but some days I wake up, and I'm like, thank God I don't have to take another test ever again. Like, isn't it great to not be in school anymore? No more papers, no more tests. I am so happy to be an adult. And it's, like, the most, like, smug but, like, calming feeling, which I think is why, like, you know, I watch, like, Pen15, and I'm like, oh, my God, I'm being triggered. I'm back in school. Like, I can't, I can't handle the pressure. So... I mean, my writing routine now, I'm like in a phase of figuring it out because you know I gave birth to my son in 2018, and that was like a big adjustment for me because I had until that point I was writing full time and I still am, but like I could wake up at 10 in the morning and write until three in the morning and you know be chugging down coffee at like 5 p.m. to like you know fuel my late night writing thing, and then this little human being comes into my life and it is all-consuming, exhausting, not just physically, but like emotionally, creatively. And I think until my son was six months old, I could not even like think creatively. Like it was like that storytelling part of my brain like died. It was just gone. And I was in like a panic because I was like, oh my God, like what do I do with my life? My brain chemistry changed that much during pregnancy and like afterwards that I can't do this anymore. And it was a really scary thing because like stories have always been in my mind as something for fun, but also like a sanctuary and like a joy and a comfort. And so just to have that part of my, my mind and almost like my soul, like vanish and like in its place is this beautiful, wonderful little boy. Like it was such a hard thing. And I was just kind of like, oh my God, like, what do I do if I can't write? I eventually, you know, like jumping ahead, got my, my mojo back, <laughs> you know, like I, around six months, I think something, you know, I am not a doctor or scientist in like any way, shape or form. Let's not pretend this is medical, serious medical stuff, but I swear like around six months, my hormones shifted or like stabilized or something like that. And it was like one day I woke up and it was all there. And like, I felt like I'd almost felt like I was like a racehorse, like in the pen, like right before they ring the bell. Like I was just like, all of a sudden, like, I need to tell stories. I need to write. I need, and it was like this explosive forward momentum feeling. And like, I cried, like I cried with relief. Cause I was like, Oh my God, like it's still there. So since then it's been kind of a transition period of just figuring out how to be a mom be present and give my son all the love he needs and deserves while also balancing my writing schedule and like, you know, readjusting my schedule. Some days it's like really hard to juggle all of that. And sometimes I'm, I feel like a total failure as like a mom and a writer, but at other days I'm like, feel like queen of the universe, like doing all the things. Like if I could do laundry and write a chapter of my book and like, you know, engage with my son in some meaningful way, I feel like an amazing shower on top of that. Like, (laughs) I'm like, yes, I can do anything. I'm a superhero. But yeah, I feel like that's like, you know, all, you know, moms, parents, like, you know, like we're all kind of like, especially with the young kids, you're all going through that. 
since I became a mom, like I feel much more um, protective of my characters where I'm like, I don't want to do anything bad to you because like your mother would be so sad. <laughs> and I'm like, I constantly struggle with like, you know, I don't see my characters as my children in any way. It's more like they seem like real people to me. But like, I'm still just like, I don't want to do anything that would upset your mother. Even though most of my characters like don't really have mothers <laughs> like conveniently absent. But now I'm like, all the moms need to be present and watching out for you guys and telling you like, don't stick your finger in that electrical outlet. <laughs> which I might have to do like a few times a day. I remember like you're the same person, but you're different and you just see things slightly different. Or like, I feel like I now see harm in things that I never saw harm in oh before, God. but now yeah. you do. And it's like obsessive. And it's just because I think you, your brain just sort of, you know, it shifts and you sort yep. of, your eyes are open to other things and you're, you see things slightly different. And so I'm sure like you said, when you're writing like your characters, it's like over sudden now it's, it, it's just, you know, a different view, a different yeah, view. Yeah, it, it, different... it is. Yeah. I mean, like over the holidays, uh, my son was like finally old enough that like he could sit still. I had like Home Alone on, which is one of my favorite movies, like not just like holiday movies, but like favorite movies ever. And I started watching it with him and I was like, we have to turn this off. Like he was enjoying it, but like there was this whole scene that I had never thought of as like an issue but like so when like Kevin like lines up the little figurines and uses like the BB gun to shoot them and I was like I don't want him seeing this and thinking this is cool my favorite part of the movie is when he like destroys the burglars in his house in incredibly dangerous ways and like I had never thought of it I just was like I have to turn this off because I don't want my three and a half year old son like thinking that it's okay to like booby trap the house I couldn't turn my brain off like I couldn't like not see it like through like my eyes as a mom like I couldn't watch it as a fan anymore and so like I was just like wow like I guess we can't watch like Home Alone until like I'm old enough to like explain to you like don't put nails on the stairs or throw paint cans <laughs> on the banister and yeah it's just like it's it's like amazing it's like amazing in this like scary but also kind of cool way how like how much like your view of the world and like things just changes with like one one little bundle of personality comes along and just one little clump of cells that that grows into a person and, <laughs> yeah. and you're like what is this yeah um okay so I feel like I've got to get into Crescent City okay. um, <laughs> <laughs> your new series so how did House of Earth and Blood start for you was it the world was it Bryce what was that like spark where you were like hmm I'm going to just start all over. Like I've got these like epic series that I'm writing. I'm still in the middle of one, but you know what? I'm going to, I'm going to embark on a whole new world, a whole new set of characters. And how did that start for you? Well, I have been a reader and like mega fangirl of like paranormal romance, like urban fantasy, like for so many years. And I had never thought that I could write a story like that. Just like, you know, I was so used to, high fantasy being like my default dream state, like, you know, creative vibe that, so I was just like, you know, in the back of my mind, like, I would love to write a story like that one day, but like, I had no ideas for it. And then I was on tour for one of my books years and years ago. I feel like it might've been like Air of Fire or Queen of Shadows. It was like one of the Thorn of Glass books. And I was on an airplane uh, listening to a piece of music from the Gravity soundtrack, like the film with Sandra Bullock, which is amazing. And out of the blue, I saw this whole scene play. Like, like it's like, I can't explain like where the ideas 
come from? Like, I don't know. It's like whatever things going on in my brain, like started firing, listening to this music. And all of a sudden I saw this scene emerge where this redheaded young woman was in like the middle of like a bombed out city in front of this like glowing pillar with these like weird looking dial things in front of her calling out for help and like her dead best friend answers it was just this random blip and I was so moved by it I started crying in the middle of an airplane which is like super embarrassing but like I was like okay I'm like having a massive reaction to like this here like what is this and so I just for that whole flight, listen to that same piece of music again and again and again. And as I did, like more and more of the world kind of like opened up where I, you know, more clearly saw Bryce. I saw like Danica. I kind of thought about like, okay, how had Danica died? Like, you know, what was this bond between them? Why had the city just been bombed out? What was this world like? And all of a sudden this like kind of magical modern city, like, you know, like urban fantasy, paranormal romance, like that kind of city, like bloomed in front of me and you know by the end of the plane ride I had kind of like these murky origins of what would later become Crescent City and then this was years and years ago and I just like one of those stories that I kept coming back to over like weeks and then months and then years and I was working on Throne of Glass and Akatar at the time and I eventually just sat down one day and was like I just like want to like write this story for fun like I'm not going to like publish it because like you know who I'm a high fantasy writer like I'm not going to suddenly like write a like modern fantasy I don't even know how you'd classify Crescent City but like you know I'm not just gonna like randomly do this thing so I just wrote it for fun and as a way to kind of release some creative steam like at the end of the day of like working on like Throne of Glass I'd like yeah as much as I love Throne of Glass I'd be like I want to be able to curse as much as I want and like I want to be able to use phrases like like douche canoe and like you know like make fun of frat boys and like you know just like and so like it was kind of like this creative release for me where I just I wrote it kind of just in secret for fun not intending to publish it for a while like between projects during projects and I had about like a third of the book written um, by the time you know I started looking ahead to the future of like you know, what was I going to do after Thorn of Glass um, I knew Akatar would still continue because you know there's so many stories I wanted to tell in that world but like you know what do I want to what's the next story I want to tell and like this was the story that you know I was like I kept coming back to these characters over the years and like, why can't I? I mean, it's kind of like a genre switch, but not really. Cause like the core elements of my books, you know, like the, like, I think they're all there in Crescent city. And so I presented it to my publisher and, you know, they bought it and here we are today, but this basically just started out as a, a passion project that I wrote for fun and out of my love for magical creatures in modern cities. And, you know, Bryce just was there in my head in the same way that Feyre and Aelin from Akatar and Throne of Glass like came into my head. And I think that's one of the things that I love most about writing Bryce is that she came into my head fully formed, but even that like years later now, I'm still learning things about her that surprised me. And, you know, it was the same way with Feyre and Aelin. And I just like I love that's one of my joys of writing is like having my like thinking I know my characters and then all of a sudden they do something or say something and I'm like oh like this is who you really are or like this is a big secret you've been hiding and like like, I know real. like you're like oh I've created you and you're yeah you're a real yeah, like you're yeah. yeah like you're a thing I made up in my head and but. yet <laughs> you're a real entity that is keeping secrets from me that I just uncovered like it's like non-creative 
nerdy types. Like they don't get like they're like, what? I, I cannot write or play music of any kind. Like I don't understand how people come up with songs and melodies. And like it's the same kind of thing where I'm like, I don't if someone tried to explain to me like where they like come up with music, I couldn't get it. But like I could understand it as like you just hear something in your head in the same way I hear these characters. <laughs> so you were saying that like so you you were you were listening to this the song and and that kind of like was like this this inspiration. So do you I know a lot of people do this, but do you create like a playlist when you're writing when you're writing your book? Is there like a playlist that like kind of forms in your head for you know, just sort of organically, like as you're writing the book, if so, do you have one or for House of Sky and Breath? Oh, yes. I mean, I do. Um, <laughs> having a playlist kind of helps me remember the emotional beats of a story. So like, yeah. it's almost like a, a musical outline of like all the scenes, all the character moments. So yes, House of Sky and Breath has a playlist that was like years in the making because, you know, lots of time to daydream. And the last Bryce scene in this book was inspired by a different movie score I don't I don't want to like say it because I'm like scared like for people who haven't read the book yet it somehow might spoil <laughs> things yes yeah. but, like you know like that was like the ending of this book like came from listening to another piece of music and like when I wrote the scene like I was listening to it and like it feels like it's like a movie playing out in my head almost so like music like still plays like a huge role though like now that I have a son like I when he's home like Feel like I can't like blast my music or like put my headphones on because I need to like listen if there's like either a crash or if it gets very very quiet. <laughs> and I'm it's like, ready oh, silence. I'm like, yes. oh my god. Oh yeah, the silence scares me more than the noise because I yep. just know, like, I mean, especially, I mean, you're a mom to like a little boy. Like uh, when it gets yeah, quiet, yeah. something like, is going down. Yes, yeah. and, <laughs> so, like, much, I, and like you, you struggle because you're like, I, I appreciate the silence. Like I, I need it. But at the same yeah. time, you know, like the repercussions of whatever, whatever mild joy you're getting from having that silence is, yeah. is not going to be worth it. No, in, no. The end, in the end. Yeah, sometimes I'm like, do I want to go see why it's so quiet? Will it even make a difference at this point? If you start a drawing on the walls, will it make a difference? But the days of me like blasting my music, like through my headphones, like if my son's like home, like when, he, when he's at preschool, like I am free to just shake the house with noise though like sometimes I wonder what if my neighbors can like hear me blasting like classical music or like movie scores and they're like what like I, I wonder I wonder like what people passing on the street think if they can hear especially like when I like listen to like a single piece of music again and again and again because I'm like channeling that for a scene do they think I'm a serial killer like just like She's listening to the same 10 seconds of a song again and again and again. Like, should we call In an obsessive someone? manner. Yeah. <laughs> That's amazing. All right. So let's go into a little bit of a lightning round. So you talked about what you're, I was going to ask you what you're currently watching. And I know, so I know Pen15 is one of them. Always. Is there, is there something else that you are sort of binging right now? What is like the top of your recommendations? Why are you not watching this show? Well, so I'm not watching a show right now, though I did, we did watch Mayor of Easttown recently, which was like incredible. Kate Winslet is amazing. But since Taryn, my son, got into Spidey and his amazing friends, it's like sparked, like like reignited my love of Marvel stuff again. And I realized I have not watched like anything Marvel related since even before my son was born, like since 2018. So what Josh, my husband and I are doing right now is actually like a huge Marvel, like, binge catch up. I just watched 
the Infinity War and like Endgame for the first time, like over the weekend. Like actually, like <laughs> so I feel like like everyone or at least some people assume that writers just like sit on the couch all day and like do nothing. And like on Monday, I fulfilled that expectation, <laughs> that low expectation, because we'd sent my son back to school and we had watched Infinity War the night before and I was dying to watch Endgame. And so I just said to Josh, I was like, as soon as he's off to school, let's go home and we'll like crank up like the stereo on the TV and like, let's watch Endgame. So like, and Endgame's like three hours long. Like I can't watch that at night. I'll fall asleep. I'm like, I'm exhausted. So like, we just spent the whole day on Monday, like watching like Endgame and then like analyzing it. And I'm like fully like obsessed with like the Marvel stuff right now. Like that's like the thing I'm, which like everyone else on the planet seen it except for me, but that's kind of like what I'm like engrossed like and I'm especially obsessed with Spider-Man now like not just because of my son's obsession but like Tom Holland the like cutest like no it's just yeah besides I mean Tom Holland and Zendaya I mean they're just incredible but also just like the writing and like everything about those movies they're just brilliant like they're just they are yeah, I was no, not expecting I'm... like Infinity War to be so funny. I mean, like my favorite Marvel movie until this point was probably Guardians of the Galaxy, just because I love the humor. Like I love like the combination of end of the world stakes with like humor, because I think in my like everyday life, I laugh at everything. And like, you know, as soon as I saw Guardians of the Galaxy the first time when it was in theaters, like I just like I love that like Quill like, you know, did a dance off with Ronan at the end because I was like, I think that's what I would do when faced with like, you know, a scary villain because I just would not like know how to function. Um, it is. It's those like little those idiosyncrasies that like you that they humanize yeah. these characters and they're just done it's just really it's just done yeah. so well yeah it's so it's done so well it brings me so much joy and like I mean so the next movie we're watching tonight is actually uh the Spider-Man Far From Home and then I think after that's WandaVision we'll start that oh, but I, I like I, I like keep looking at like phase three phase four like we were like like strategically going through all of it what are you currently reading right now or what was the last book that you read that just like like blew your mind. Okay. I have like a very like horrible admission that like since COVID began, I've barely read anything. At the end of the day, I want to like curl up on the couch and watch TV or movies like with my yeah, no, husband COVID, and like COVID fatigue is like a real is, is yeah. So like I haven't thing. like I haven't read as much as I usually do. It's like it's weird, but I did just read um an arc of a book called Twin Crowns by my friend Katie Weber. And it's amazing. It's coming out next fall, I want to say. But like, it's been so long since I read high fantasy and this is like high fantasy kind of in the vein of the princess bride. So, so there's like humor in it, which is like, again, I love fantasy stories that have high stakes, but also like characters that act with humor and like finding like moments of like that humanity and those idiosyncrasies. And so I just read that recently and I thought it was just brilliant. But other than that, like, I feel like before that I was just listening to audiobooks a lot. I listened to, um, I feel like I listened to like Pride and Prejudice, like the audiobook, 10 times this summer. <laughs> it's always good to go back to the that's, classics. That's, that's yeah, normal. Honestly. That's normal. And yeah, so I haven't really done much reading, but Twin Crowns was the latest thing I read and I thought was just awesome. So check that's it out awesome. when it when it releases next year or I guess this year. Yeah, we're in 2022 now. It's like the future. Exactly. So 2022. Yes. So I am not like a resolutions person at all. But I do like to make little goals for myself, even if it's just like be kinder to yourself or like just like something where you're like an achievable a goal. So my final question to you is, do you, it's a new year. 
I've got to believe that there's just like bright things on the horizon. Are there any goals that you've set for yourself? As, and they could be as small or as big for 2022. Oh man. I like haven't had, we had family visiting over the holidays. I didn't even have a moment like to think about. <laughs> I was just so focused on surviving the holidays. I know. That I was like, I, I have not taken a moment until now to think about what I want to accomplish this year. I think, you know, it's so cliche to be like, you know, I want to find balance, but that is a big thing for me. But I also like, I want to learn like a new skill or pick up an old skill. Like I used to love art and painting when I was in middle school and early on in high school. And I kind of like let that slide by. And when I was in Hawaii, beautiful, magical place, but you know, we had a lot of downtime there. And so I started like picking up, I got like a watercolor set from Target and like just started painting like you know, very casually. And it didn't last long because you know, I was like, this is so terrible. Like, <laughs> what's the point? Um, but I would love to like pick up something like that again. And if not painting, like, I don't know. The other day I was thinking about knitting and I was like, is that like a, like a cliche thing to be like, I'm going to learn how to knit. Um, but like, I don't know. It's like, useful. I, it's, yeah. It's a useful like, skill. Be like, cool. Like, and so I don't know, like, I want to just like, find like a new skill. Like I would love to just like master something new, completely unrelated to anything I do like work-wise, like, you know, creatively, just something that's for me. And like, you know, my, if I start painting, like I would never show my, like I should, I, I really should have taken photos of my artwork in Hawaii because it was horrific. Um, and like to the point where like Josh, my, I'd like show like Josh and he'd be like, well, you tried. <laughs> well, here's to trying new things, new skills. Yes, that, that's, that's my trying. new thing. Try, try new things and find joy in not being perfect at them. Let, let it. it be. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> well, Sarah, thank you. Thank you so much. This has been wonderful. House of Sky and Breath, the second installment in the Crescent City series is out now. Thanks so much. Thank you. <laughs> that was awesome. And now it's time for your TBR top off here on Port Over, the Barnes & Noble podcast. Coming to you from our warm little store in Northville, Michigan, my mm-hmm. name is James Harper, and happy to be with you along with, as always, hi, Margie. Hi, James. How are you? <laughs> good. It's been a cold one here in Michigan. Lots of snow, lots of good opportunity for book reading. We're very excited to have you with us, and we're excited for our pick this week, the new Sarah J. Moss. Very exciting for this episode. Whoop. Our booksellers are buzzed about this one. As our Oh, my readers. gosh. Yeah. So it's going to be a big deal. High energy happening there. Absolutely. Um, so we have a few books to add to your TBR list this week. And we have a very special guest on our podcast this week. Let's say hi to Gabrielle. Hi. Hi, guys. How are you doing? Great. Great. How are you doing? I am really excited about this Sarah J. Moss book. Let me tell you. Woo-hoo. Very So cool. excited to have you come on. Margie and I have known Gabrielle for years and years, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. What store are you from and uh, how long have you been with uh, Barnes & Noble? So I am currently in our Rochester Hills location, sunny Rochester Hills, also <laughs> a wonderfully warm spot to be in at this moment in time. Just kidding. It's it's real cold outside. And the snow is all over the place. Like. <laughs> Yeah, I've been with the company, goodness, it'll be, what is this, 2022? This will be my 10th year with the hey, company. Yeah. That's so exciting. Okay. Yeah. I've got my, book knowledge. 
oh my gosh, yes. <laughs> so many books, so little time. Absolutely. But that's why we're here. Yeah, well, we love a big TBR stack, and I know that we all have them. So we're going to add a few more today uh, based on the new Sarah J. Moss book. So uh, Margie, you got the first pick of the week? Indeed, I do. And I am so excited that I'm able to talk about this one. Uh, I've been blathering about it in the last week or so, and this is just perfect. The one I want to talk about is called Kushiel's Dart. I'm going to spell the first word. It's K-U-S-H-I-E-L, and it's by Jacqueline Carey. So this is a fantasy story of Phaedra, who is a courtesan touched by a god as she comes to terms with herself and her strange gifts. So there's not just that. We've got high society. There's political intrigue, dynastic scandal. There's kidnapping, violence, and the threat of war from a brutal barbarian enemy. This one has every single thing that you would want in a big fantasy saga. This is the first of a trilogy. Jacqueline Carey did three trilogies set in this universe. They're so good. This series is definitely for people who like their fantasy with a healthy dose of romantic spiciness. It is not for the faint of heart. If you're all into Cheryl and Kenyon or Christine Fian, like you would definitely, definitely dig this. And you will be so hooked. You will want to read the whole trilogy, believe me. So that is Kushiel's Dart by Jacqueline Carey. All right. My pick this time is our speculative pick for February. It's called Malice, and it's by Heather Walter. And it's the first book of a duology. You've heard of a trilogy. This is a duology. So part two is actually (laughs) coming out in May. So very exciting. So this one just came out in paperback. And so you can dig into this one. And then just a couple of months down the road, you're going to have a follow up book to this one to wrap it all up. So this is an exciting time to jump into Malice. So Malice is actually a queer uh, retelling of Sleeping Beauty. And the main character is kind of the villain of this world. And she has to save a young woman who falls in love with her from a curse. So it's kind of a great twist on the story that you already know and love. And with book two to look forward to coming out soon, you'll be very pleased with this one. So you can definitely pick this one up at your local Barnes and Noble. And that is Malice. It's our speculative pick for February. It's by Heather Walter. All right, Gabrielle, what you got for us? I'm going with something a little different. Sarah J. Maas is known for her tomes of fantastic fiction, but I wanted to do something like a little breather in a way. So the one that I have is Comfort Me with Apples by Catherine M. Valente. And this is like a little tiny short story, but it's a horror thriller kind of short story. And I did this one just because I can't stop thinking about it and I can't stop talking about it. And so since I love Sarah J, I thought, hey, these folks might like this one also. This one is kind of along the lines of Gone Girl by Jillian Flynn or Spinning Silver. And it's about a young woman who thinks that her husband is perfect and made for her. And they move into this beautiful home and everything is perfect in this neighborhood. And then all of a sudden, it doesn't seem so perfect. All of a sudden, there are like these mysterious things that are happening. And it seems like the town and the little village is in on it. And he goes on a business trip. And then all of a sudden, the plot twist happens. And so this one is only like 
not even 200, not even 100 pages. This book is literally like 95 pages. It's a quick read, hardcover, but only $17.99. And I think it's a nice little breather between your tomes of fantasy. Gabrielle, I just got to say, I commend you for describing the book in such a great way without saying anything about it. Because let me just tell you, (laughs) I, I read this book. It is incredible. But saying anything about what happens is going to ruin it for the person that's reading it. So yeah, it's like, no, no, oh, I can't. I'm so down and come for me with apples was so good. <laughs> I feel the excitement. I feel it. All right. <laughs> well, that is it for our TBR top off this week on Port Over. Thanks for listening. Uh, you can follow me on Instagram at James Reading Books. And I'm Margie. You can follow me at Margie Book Brain. And you guys can follow my store at Barnes & Noble Rochester Hills. That's it for your TBR top off this week. And thanks for listening and we'll see you next time. Happy reading. Thanks guys. Pour It Over is a Barnes & Noble production. The show is available on Apple, Spotify, and Stitcher. Please rate and review us wherever you listen to podcasts.